Welcome to the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast, where members of the medical community from different roles, venues, and locations share their unique perspectives on quality healthcare, its future, and how to improve it. Now, from the Your Keynote Speaker Studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, here is your host, Rob Oliver. Thank you, and I appreciate you being with me today. I, I really feel like I've got a, a unique perspective coming into today's program. His name is Dr. John Cullen. He is a family medicine doctor. He practices in Valdez, Alaska, which is a fairly small and rural community. And when I say rural, I mean, um, I'll just... I mean, he's, he's away from the big city. Let's just put it that way. Uh, listen, John, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your role in healthcare, please. Uh, for the last 27 years, I've been practicing a full scope family medicine in Valdez. And um, so this is a community that is about 4,000 people. Um, we're 300 miles away from the nearest uh, tertiary care hospital where we do all our referrals, um, about um, 260 miles away from any other hospital at all. And, um, and it's an incredibly beautiful place. I'd love to kind of point the camera out the window, but um, the sun is just barely coming up right at the moment. And uh, it's, um, but it, uh, as beautiful as it is, we also have some of the worst weather on the planet. Uh, and so we can uh, go for several days without being able to transfer anybody and um, and so uh, we have a 10 bed critical access hospital um, and with that we are actually doing um, like i said it's full scope family medicine which includes obstetrics including cesarean sections we do surgery uh, cover the emergency room and have our clinic um, and it's um, it's a it's been a fascinating place to practice um, it, um, you never know what you're going to get and so I think that one of the things that happens in, um, in rural communities is that we see exactly the same things that are seen in a big city. It's all the same stuff. We just had somebody with a, um, a bleeding aortic aneurysm. Um, we had a delivery just this last week. Um, so we're, we're taking care of all the same things, all the same emergencies that you would see anywhere else. It's a little bit different. We're a fishing town, and so we see a lot more fish hook injuries than uh, than a lot of other places, um, and flay knife injuries, but it's, uh, but otherwise it's all really the same kind of thing. Um, but because of where we are, we actually have to have a much more robust, uh, response, uh, for, um, for taking care of our patients than you would expect for a 10 bed critical access hospital. Yeah. And okay. So I think that your, your point is well made that people are people and no matter where they are, they're going to experience similar issues when it comes to the, you know, the, the condition of being human. And then you're also, I think, making the point that there may be some particular um, injuries or particular things that you're dealing with, uh, especially because of the nature of what goes on in your area. Uh, and, uh, you know, also mentioning Valdez, Alaska, you get the black name of being associated with the Exxon Valdez, uh, unfortunately. But uh, on... As you're delivering healthcare, tell me what does quality healthcare mean to you? 
So, and I have to look at this from a rural lens. And again, from the perspective of the time that I've been practicing. Um, but for us, quality means being able to handle whatever comes in the door for as long as we need to do it um, within that within our community until we until under the depending on the circumstance that we can transfer or the patient gets better. What that means is, is that we have to be able to handle um, everything from heart attacks uh, to major trauma uh, to obstetrical emergencies. Um, and so for me, quality healthcare is just having that robust response to whatever is coming in through the door. And we have to do that with an extremely st small um, staff. So we have um, currently four family physicians, and that's it. We don't have any other, any other specialties or other providers, um, as well as a nursing staff. And, um, and so together, we need to provide that, that level of care. Um, our numbers are small. One of the problems in a small community like ours is that our, our N is, is really tiny. And so you get these weird statistical uh, flukes. Like I've had two acute cholecystitis in the last 24 hours. Um, I haven't seen one of those in about a month. And so it's just, it's just, it's just odd how things kind of happen. Um, but because of the small numbers, we have to do a lot of other things in order to maintain our competency. So in terms of quality, that's the second part is that maintaining that training level to handle whatever it is that's coming in the door, even if we haven't seen it in a while. Um, and we do, I think, a fairly good job of that. Um, part of that is that we do a lot of uh, drill and training. Um, our nursing staff actually has every certification you can get, um, and uh, as well as the physicians. I mean, we, we, we have to have all of the certifications. Um, but not only that, but we actually have to practice. And when I first moved to Valdez, we actually did not do C-sections except for an emergencies. And that was just, that was the wrong time to try to figure out how to do a C-section. Um, and so we practiced and practiced and practiced. We actually got out the recessiani um, and did hundreds of C-sections with a recessiani just to get everybody up to speed. And the next time we had an emergency, we were actually able to, um, to take care of when the emergency came through. Um, and we do that with, with everything. Yeah, the the level, the breadth of knowledge that you have to have in order to be able to treat everything. I, just for my own curiosity, how big of an, I know that your Valdez, the, the town itself only has 4,000 people in it, but I'm assuming that you would also kind of be a magnet for the towns around that don't have access to hospitals like that as well. Like how big of an area do you serve? It's actually about the size of Ohio, um, <laughs> but it's a, <laughs> but but it, there's not very many people. Um, so uh, we're looking at maybe a thousand people outside of the city limits uh, within that whole area. Um, a lot more bears than people, actually. But it's uh, um, but it's yeah. There's not that big of a draw. So maybe five thousand all told. Okay, uh, you you gave us somewhat of an example when you talked about um, C-sections, but can you give me any, any specific examples about what is quality healthcare, an example of quality healthcare? Well, I think that kind of a following along with that, I can give you a specific example. It was, uh, it was actually written up in U.S. News and World Reports, but I had uh, somebody who uh, was pregnant with twins. We knew she had twins. Um, and the plan was to have her go up to Anchorage on Monday I saw her on Friday, everything was fine. She was 31 weeks at that point. 
Um, she came in on Saturday already dilated to seven centimeters and then her membranes were hourglassing through her cervix and they were filled with a uh, cord. Um, so if she had actually ruptured the membranes and then she would have prolapsed the cords from one or both of the babies. Um, and um, we actually took care of that here in Valdez. We did bring in a neonatal team. Uh, it took us seven or eight hours to do that because the weather was just terrible. And um, so we maintained her pregnant uh, for about seven hours. And then when we got a neonatal team in, we did the C-section in Valdez, delivered both, both uh, premature infants. Um, and they are now um, six years old and just these delightful twin girls. Um, that was actually the second set of twins that I, and I had never planned on doing any twins whatsoever. Um, and the other set of twins actually had a prolapse cord as well. And, and the fact that we were able to handle those emergencies, um, it was not a fluke. It was because we had been preparing, not for that particular case, but for those kinds of cases, um, basically for the previous 15, you know, 15, 20 years. Right. So when they actually happened, we were ready. Yeah the anticipation of what might happen you're doing, you know, sounds like there are certain elements of that where you can definitely be prepared for it. Okay. And just on a side note, I, I'm the proud father of triplets and um, (laughs) very similar circumstances for us in which um, my wife was, I think 34 weeks and doing very well. Um, Her mom needed a break because she was helping out and so her mom had a place in Florida. We sent her to Florida. She arrived. Um, my wife went for her regular doctor's appointment. The doctor said, um, you're becoming toxemic. We've got, the babies have to come. And my wife informed him in no uncertain terms. Um, they're not coming until my mom gets home um, because she has to be here for this. Uh, but that's a story for a different day. Uh, I, I'd like to, the question is, what do you wish people understood about your role in healthcare. And if you don't mind, I'd love to hear you answer that from two perspectives. Number one, the people in your community, what do you wish they understood about your role in healthcare? And number two, the people that are outside of your community, what do you wish that they understood? Is that a a fair way to take that question? Sure. No, I think that that, that certainly is. Um, So in in terms of our community, a lot of times my patients expect us to be able to have more capability than we actually have. Uh, and so, for example, the patient, both patients who had acute cholecystitis has asked me to do the, the cholecystectomy in Valdez, uh, which uh, I had to defer. And, and uh, then they need to go to Anchorage for that particular procedure, partly because that's not something that needs to be done uh, emergently. And we really are trying to focus on providing emergent uh, procedures. Um, but I think that sometimes their perspective of what we can do here is um, is much greater than uh, than what we actually can do. Um, but you know, what's interesting is that it's I think that they're um, you know I don't worry about people calling me in the middle of the night. I don't worry about um, them giving me enough space. And then I'm in the phone book. My phone number's in the phone book. I give my cell phone number out to my patients, um, and nobody abuses that. And so um, so that's. Um, uh, I, I, outside of just the, sometimes the expectations of what we can provide, that's, that's really about it. From outside the community, I think that there's, there's um, two parts to that. First off is that when I'm talking with specialists in the big city, a lot of times their perspective of what we can do also um, is something that we need to, uh, 
you know, either they think that I'm operating out of the back of my pickup truck or, or that, uh, that we can do heart surgery. And it's, it's sort of not, um, they don't, they don't see that middle ground somewhere between there. Um, and so, um, so I think that that's, that's, that's part of it. The other part is that unfortunately, a lot of times, um, again, you know, the metropolitan specialists have a tendency to think that all healthcare should be provided in a, in a metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. And it can't be because, you know, about 20% of the population lives in rural communities like mine. Um, and all of those uh, rural hospitals need to be able to provide a robust level of care. And so, uh, so I think that there's, there's, again, just that perspective of what we can provide. And um, I would love for specialists to come out and see what we're doing just so that they have a better perspective. I, I think that you are, you're right on with that, that so many, so many of the quote unquote, big city hospitals, big city doctors to be able to see, to have a realistic understanding of what, what your capabilities are. And I, I think it, it would provide them with an understanding of the fact that you run an op, you have an operation that is equipped to handle most of what happens in your area. Um, so it's not outside of the back of your pickup truck, but at the same time, um, it's not, you don't have access to the same level of equipment or things like that, that the, that the folks in the metropolitan hospitals would have. Uh, and, and I think, okay, I'm in Pittsburgh and I think the same thing happens in which we have our community hospitals and, you know, someone is in the community hospital until something major happens. And then they're transferred from there to one of the big city hospitals, because even though it's a suburban hospital and you're only 10 miles outside of the city, those community hospitals aren't equipped to handle the same level of care that some of the the bigger city hospitals are. Does that resonate with you? It does, especially um, in the light of what's been happening here in the last couple of months. We had a huge COVID surge um, to the point where uh, the hospitals, the big city hospitals were completely full. Uh, so for about three weeks, we were unable to transfer anybody. And uh, and so that made it a really an interesting experience in terms of, of having to extend what we could do beyond what we felt comfortable. Um, because we ended up having to keep people for extended periods of time. Yeah. I, it, you're so right in that. And it's such a, it's such an interesting, an interesting um, situation to be put into. What excites you about the future of healthcare? I think that the technology, the advances that we're seeing, um, again, from my perspective as being a, a providing rural medicine, is, is extraordinarily exciting. And, uh, and I'm thinking about everything from mRNA vaccines to, um, to developments in ultrasound technology to um, even some of the advances in artificial intelligence. All those things are, are actually going to really help um, our practice here um, more so than I think than just about anywhere. Um, I think that, and I think that as far as rural physicians go, I think we're taking advantage of as much of that as we possibly can. When I first started doing ultrasound, for example, it was like looking through a really dirty stained glass window and, you know, you just really couldn't see anything. The quality of the images that I can get just with a, um, a, a ultrasound that plugs into my phone are 
are just incredible. I mean, anybody can read those. And, uh, and so I think that, that, that has been amazing. Um, just the, um, the availability of information on the internet and with the advances in telemedicine. I mean, we use telemedicine all the time. Um, it's important to recognize that with telemedicine, that it's not really a solution. It's a tool. It's just a way mm. of, um, of discussing cases. Um, I think one of the best examples I have that is <clears throat> we had a, uh, we had somebody who was crumping at uh, two o'clock in the morning in the middle of the snowstorm. And um, this is the first time we actually had the tele ICU set up and it had been sort of gathering dust in the corner for about three months. You know, we didn't even know it was hooked up. And, um, and so I was going in because my patient was uh, becoming uh, increasingly respiratorily distressed um, and I was getting ready to intubate. And it was just me and two of my female nurses. And, um, and all of a sudden I heard this deep voice go, huh, looks like she's decompensating. And, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm looking around trying to figure out where this voice is coming from and hoping it wasn't the voice of God. And, <laughs> right. and, uh, and then when the voice said, uh, you probably need to intubate, it's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but <clears throat> that's when I realized that, that we had turned on the, the tele ICU and I had somebody watching over my shoulder. And, you know, and that felt really good. That was really a nice thing. Uh, but I think the point is, is that no matter how good he was on the other end of that telemedicine, he could not reach through there and, and intubate my patient. And so you need to have people with skills like what we have here to be able to really utilize telemedicine at, at fullest capacity. It's not a solution for the for, um, you know, finding enough providers for rural communities. Yeah. Um, but it is a great adjunct. Sure. It, it makes a lot of sense. And. I mean, there are the concept of robotic surgeries that can be performed remotely and everything, but still I, what you're talking about is you can get advice and you can get um, insights from remote doctors, but the skill to actually implement what you're hearing is, um, you know, has got to be able, got to be available on the local end. Uh, what is one thing medical professionals can start doing today to improve the quality of healthcare? You know, I think that one of the really exciting things, too, which I didn't really talk about, is just the, the development of quality improvement initiatives and, and really using data to look at what, um, what you're doing. I think that that and team-based approaches, um, I think, are really critical. So one thing is um, to really emphasize the team approach. Um, for example, um, this morning early, I was at the hospital. I went through all the patients that we had discussed what was potentially coming in. We discussed our OB patients that were out there. Um, we made plans for everything just so that we wouldn't be surprised. And we know that there's things going to come walking in the door that we hadn't anticipated. But we did as much as we can. When the patients arrive, we have a huddle. We talk about, um, you know, with the, the case, both the physicians and the nurses. And, um, and, then, um, and then we have debriefings on a regular basis. And, um, and <clears throat> all of those really serve to improve the quality of care. And every single case that we have, even though our numbers are small, is an opportunity to learn uh, so that we can do better next time. And so I think that from a quality perspective, um, it's a really active process. It's not a passive one. And, um, and that... Um, and that, uh, but the developing those high-functioning teams, I think, is that's probably one thing that, that we can do. Yeah, and I will just add this comment from my perspective: it, the patient has to be considered part of that team as well. It's it's um, in order to have a healthcare solution that works for everybody, 
um, it, the patient's got to be included. I, listen, Dr. Cullen, I could, I feel like I could talk to you all day. Um, I really appreciate you being here. Your, uh, your stories are fascinating. Um, I just thank you for coming on the show and I appreciate your perspective on healthcare. Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Healthcare. Visit PerspectivesOnHealthcare.com to learn more about Rob Oliver or to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this podcast was valuable, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. Or if you tell a friend or coworker about the show, that would be helpful too. Join us again next time for more Perspectives on Healthcare.